Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the stage tonight's guest moderator, David Rakoff of This American Life, and tonight's guest, Rachel Dratch. So... Hello. Hi, Rachel. Hi. It's a nice turnout, especially considering there's a woman on the curb, literally outside the store, uh, with, with her top the off. The naked paparazzi, paparazzi She's lady? got a blonde wig and a yeah, mustache. Yeah, a mustache. I saw her on the way in. Yeah. She had her so, jacket on when I came in, though. So, yeah, she took her jacket oh off right God. before I walked in. Glad I missed that. So. Okay. So we're going to begin it. You're going to um, read a bit, and then you okay. and I are going to talk. Okay, good. And uh, so if you'll just pick up your life-changing iPad <laughs> and... Yes. Okay, I guess I'll get right into it. Just this. whatever you do, don't press that. D I know. Don't press okay, okay. Okay, okay. Um, okay, so um, I've done a few of these readings so far, and um, what I've noticed is that everyone um, afterwards in the Q&A, everyone, all they want to ask about is SNL. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll read the little SNL part of my book, um, a, a, little, a little section of the SNL part. Um, because I figured, you know, I'm at the Apple store and it's cool and hip and New Yorky and you guys might be into SNL. I don't know. Um, so uh, this is um, when, when I was writing this book, um, at first I wrote the SNL part as just a little teeny footnote almost. And then the editors were like, no, you got to talk about being at SNL. I was like, well, what aspect should I talk about? There's so much I could say. So I came up with... Um, well, first of all, the SNL chapter is called Dreams Do Come True and May Be Accompanied by Debilitating Psychological Torture. Um, but this little section of that is called Your Unofficial Guide to Being on SNL, and it basically is, you know, what it's like to work on the show. So, the first step is getting your scene on the show. This occurs at the read-through on Wednesday afternoon. You've had virtually no sleep, for you've been up the previous night writing. So on Wednesday, the whole cast and the host and Lorne are seated around a giant table, and you all read through, or should I say perform, there at the table, all of the scenes that have been submitted that week. Usually that's about 40 scenes. Virtually every employee of the show is in the room, people from costume, sets, hair, sound, everyone crammed into the room to hear what possible scenes they may be working on that week. Your scene is read. Sometimes it gets big laughs. Yay! Sometimes it tanks and gets silence. Boo! By the end of the whole process, the big wigs, that is Lorne, a few of the producers, the head writers, and the host, all go behind closed doors and pick which scenes will be in for the week. You hang out in the offices, joke around with castmates, or drink some wine that has been pilfered from a cabinet somewhere. A few hours later, someone says, the picks are in, and you go look at a list, much as you would if you were auditioning for the high school play, to see if your scene has been circled. Sometimes, your scene that killed at the table is in. Yay! Sometimes, to your utter dismay, your scene that killed is not in, for reasons that you will never know, so you learn to not even bother asking what went on behind that great closed door. Maybe the male host really wanted to play a woman, so he picked that Hooters scene instead. But that is just your speculation. Often, a scene that you found not funny at all is in. Do not question. Someone probably thinks the same about your scene when it gets in. It is all subjective and will make you insane. But this week, your scene is in. Yay! Tell all your friends. Wait, you soon learn. Don't tell all your friends. There is still a gauntlet to run before you're on TV. You see, Lauren and the producers pick a few more scenes for the dress rehearsal, then we'll make it to the live show. There's a dress rehearsal at 8 p.m. on Saturday in front of a live audience. And judging from how your scene goes there, it could still be cut before air. 
After the dress rehearsal, everyone crams into Lauren's office at about 10.30 p.m. to sit on a floor or a couch arm. And up on the bulletin board, the list of scenes that are in is on one side, and the scenes that were cut are on the other side, the bad side. Some weeks, you're all over the show before dress rehearsal, and you walk in to see your three scenes are all on the bad side of the board, so you end up on the bench that week. But lucky for you, this week, your scene is still in. Yay! Tell all your friends. Wait, don't tell all your friends. You see, gentle reader, your scene is at the end of the show. It's the last scene of the night. Because the show is live, the timing is only an estimate. Quite often, the last scene of the show is cut for time. It's all very frenetic when you find this out. There you are in your chicken suit, excited to do your big chicken scene, and someone runs through the hallway, breathlessly saying, the chicken scene is cut! You dejectedly take off your chicken head, but you still say goodnights with your chicken body on, because darn it, someone's going to see that and think, hey, what's that chicken costume? Oh, darn it, that looks really funny. I bet we missed out on a really funny scene there. After the show on Saturday night, each cast member gets a limo, and you can pile your friends or out-of-town visitors in and head to the party. The parties don't usually get too crazy. They're held in various restaurants around the city, and people sit at the tables with their visitors. The parties serve as a big sigh of relief after all the work that week. Outsiders picture the parties as these debauched, crazy affairs with comedians hanging off the chandeliers. That may have been true in the old days, but in my time, looking around the room, you might think the drug of choice was calamari. Um, okay, sorry. Okay. Um, and then I have to, I'm skipping this little after party thing with Tracy Morgan, but you'll have to read in the book. Okay. Um, <laughs> so maybe you had a great show on Saturday and you introduced a new character that was a big hit. Maybe you weren't in the show at all. You have Sunday to bask in your glow or to lick your wounds because come Monday, the whole process starts all over again and you better have some new ideas. Oh, and just so you know, the host this week is Christopher Walken and he's already doing his continental character. And since it's an election year, there's going to be a seven minute debate sketch. And for some reason, Jay's Z is playing an extra three songs. This all leaves one and a half slots for any new scenes to be picked for the week. Happy writing. Your unofficial guide is finished. Now fly. Fly, my little comedy star. And I'll see you at the after party. I'm going to do a ton of calamari, so if I don't say hi, that's why. I'm going to be totally effed up on calamari. Love and kisses, Rachel. That gets all the SNL answers out of the way, I think. <laughs> Except someone's going to ask, who is your favorite host? Okay. Anyway. So I just want to, before we even begin with our proper conversation, I just want to uh, embarrass you for a little bit uh, and just tell you, the, the book is really lovely. It's adorable. And I don't mean in a kind of basket of puppies, Zoe Deschanel kind of way. Um, you know, it, it's a fully mature, grown-up book. But the character and the writing, it's so informed by this, uh, you're incredibly hip to yourself, you have this very highly calibrated moral compass, and uh, all the conclusions that you come to are all the absolute right conclusions, and they're sort of counterintuitive to what we might think of someone in the performing arts would come to. You're a very grounded girl, and you're a very nice, lovely writer. Um, so, yeah, the book, you, you adore the person in the book, you, and you adore the book, and you actually laugh out loud. And I haven't laughed out loud since 1975, and so I was really uh, incredibly gratified uh, by the reading experience. So, onward. Okay, that's done. Are you okay? Yeah, okay, thanks, good. thanks. Um, the main thing is, 
I want to talk to you about the instant gratification of performing versus the exceedingly delayed and sometimes never fulfilled gratification of writing. How was that for you? Well, actually, okay, so the reason I even wrote a book is because, um, well, as the, as the whole first part of the book is kind of like the acting stuff was kind of dying down a little bit, not completely, but just like I, was had, a, I had a lot of time on my hands and I was sort of waiting for the phone to ring, you know, for your agent to call. And, and then finally I was like, felt like I was kind of wasting the day by just sort of waiting for something to happen. So then I decided, well, if something funny happens, I'll just try to write it up maybe for a storytelling night or something like that. Um, so it started off just as kind of an exercise. But um, what I found was, well, first of all, it was just kind of empowering creatively just to be writing instead of watching Judge Mathis on TV. Um, so um, <laughs> I was watching a lot of daytime TV. Um, but I guess what I, what I ended up really liking about it is that it's just, it's just you and you know, you're your own judge, whereas in, in acting or casting, I should say, like, you know, you could, you, you're not right for the part, you're too short, you're too tall, whatever it is, or, you know, you're not good enough, whatever, but this is, you're the only person telling you this is good or this isn't good, pretty much. I mean, your editor kind of jumps in a little bit, but I, I kind of liked that I would just spend the day and, like, oh, this is good, and then the next day, be like, oh, no, I can't even use this, or, yeah, this is still good, and I just liked being kind of in charge of my own creative destiny, so I kind of I liked it, I don't know. <laughs> and the prospect of the, the long haul of it all, the sort of marathon, uh, you know, a book-length manuscript, how, how did that go? Um, I mean, obviously it went very well. You I think book, I was just but... excited to have something to do. <laughs> so I think yeah. I was glad to have this deadline and like a project, because I'd spent a lot of time without, and so um, I didn't mind it. I, I didn't feel a lot of, I'm sure there are weeks when I, I was you know, freaking out. But overall, I didn't feel a ton of pressure or anything. I don't know. Um, we also have to talk a little bit about the primary bombshell of the book. Uh, right. the, the book well, okay. is very much a modern love story. And well, I'll let okay. you take over. Okay. So I started writing this book. Like I said, oh, I'll write a, if a funny story happens or something. And then those stories just kind of like about dating or I had a, like I was dog sitting for a month. And those stories just kind of were sitting there. And then I didn't really know where they could go as an overall story. So they kind of sat around for like a year. And then I had this crazy life plot twist slash book plot twist, which was that I by surprise, got pregnant at the age of almost 44. And then I was so freaked out. I mean, I was happy, but freaked out. And then I also was like, oh, now this whole book has somewhere to go. Um, so now I have a, a story almost. Um, so then I, then I went back to the literary agent. I was like, okay, now I got an ending for you. And um, so then um, I started writing about the whole pregnancy thing and, um, you know, baby with someone that you've been dating for six months and how's this all going to work and all that. And so, um, so yeah, uh, what was the question? <laughs> uh, I, I just felt that it was necessary oh, for us to... Oh yeah, so one of the kind of interesting things about this book is that um, when I was writing those initial stories, I had no idea what was around the corner. So when I'm writing about these bad dates or whatever, I didn't know that, you know, what was going to be my life soon, so... That was kind of cool, I thought. Did it, I don't know. Did it then change the writing for you? Uh, well, it changed the process, because I had to go get a babysitter to go write. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, did it change the... But knowing, knowing that there's this 
person who will eventually oh, yeah. read the book and... Yeah, you know, that's another thing, like, as I was writing this, I mean, I, people keep telling me, like, wow, you really tell a lot of personal stories, and, I, and then I, like, everyone's saying it, I was like, oh, did I tell too many personal stories? Maybe, I don't know. But when I was writing this, I was thinking about, like, writers and actors that I know who, who really put themselves out there. I always admire that, and I was thinking, how do they do that? And, and so I felt like to really tell my story, I really needed to tell everything. Um, but, I mean, I was very aware that, you know, for Eli and John, like, you know, that their characters are parts of the story, too. You, you, uh, please fill our listeners in on Eli and oh, John. Oh, yeah, Eli yeah. is my son, and John is my baby daddy. Um, so, <laughs> but, I mean, I was very aware that, you know, I was telling his story, too, and he's not an actor, public eye person, so, you know, I wanted to respect him. But, I mean, I think that everyone says it's, it's very, you know, a very... I make. You're, you're extremely controlled in your revelations. There's nothing, there's yeah, no there's nothing like inadvertent underwear shot or anything that you... Right, except if I sanctioned it of, of my own. There's a few exposure parts in there, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're very respectful of the, of the other players in, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. in your life. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was, I mean, I'm not like super salacious person <laughs> anyway, so it wasn't like I had to hold a lot back, but yeah. You mentioned being in charge, uh, and so much of the book is about being a woman in acting and performing. First, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Okay, well, I started this book, when, at the beginning I talk a lot about the career kind of slowing down and like the whole 30 Rock thing and all that, and I, I wasn't sure if I should even talk about that, because then it's like, oh, then I'm putting it back into people's minds, like right, you know, it's five years ago now, it might be starting. Might be starting to die down in people's minds. But I get asked about Thirty Rock a lot, and um, so I was sort of debated that, like, should I even bring this up again? But then I thought, I feel like I should because this is where my story kind of starts. It's like this is where the slowdown kind of starts. So, like I said, I decided just to be honest about what I was going through, and um, not that I was like, you know. But it's in the just, gutter, in fact, one anecdote in, in within a larger not argument that you're making, but, but certainly a larger narrative about what it is to be an actress of a certain age, of a certain height, of a certain, you know, in... Yeah, you know, it's weird, because, like, when I talk about, you know, being a woman in comedy and stuff, like, I definitely didn't want it to be, like, some big sociological statement of, here's what it's like, and, you know, the man's keeping me down. Like, I was just saying what my own what my story was because like I worked really straight for 15 years really steady and then things kind of dropped off and um, I don't really you know there could be any number of reasons why and I was really afraid of making some like it's because of this like uh, poor me you know I didn't want to do that so no it doesn't um, come off of self-pitying but there is a rather amusing uh, trope that comes up again and again which is the kind of part oh yeah well so I started off by saying because I kept on getting off, like any time my agent would call, and this is how the book starts, and people think I'm exaggerating, but I always would get offered parts of lesbians. And, um, and you know, I took some of them too. I mean, in the book, I'm very, very plain about saying that, you know, I know lesbians come in all shapes and sizes and varieties of hotness. So I keep getting quoted like, I'm playing lesbians, and I don't want to anger the lesbian community. But, um, <laughs> but um, it was like, I wasn't, getting, I wasn't getting called for the lipstick lesbians. Okay, let's just put it that way. Um, but I would always get called for like lesbian or like super overweight person or 65 year old 
woman. So I just kind of conglomerated all those in the parts I was getting offered at the beginning. But, but it really was, I mean, that was all I, I was slash am getting offered. So that was real, but yeah. But now that you've had this experience of being a writer and being in charge, because, you know, an editor will sort of ask if they can change something, which is different from being an actor. Um, do you think it's going to be hard to go back to ceding some of that power and some of that control? For in, in leaving leaving the world of writing, where you are, oh. where you're in charge of it. Oh well, you know, actually, it's funny because in this book, I you know lament my lack of work, and then right when the book came out, I actually got a pilot. Um, to play like just kind of an odd chick. Um, so I mean, I'm never thinking like I'm leaving acting, I'm not gonna go back and, like I always kept the hope that something was gonna come up and then it sort of finally did. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't really see it, the, those two things as so separate of like acting or, or writing. I don't know, they're both kind of in the same like creative umbrella for me, so I don't think it'll be too hard. So do you think you're gonna write another book? I don't know. I have to see how the how this goes and how and how if I have more stories to tell. I mean, right now I think I'm just like I can't even believe it's in my hand and not, you know, in a written form on my computer. So I think I'm still getting used to the idea of like, I'm an author. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, and not to open up too many family secrets. It's only what I know in the book. But there's this hilarious thing that your mother says to you, which is indicative of a kind of a mm, somewhat pessimistic, I'll just say it, Jewish worldview. You're on your way Debbie to the Domin you're on your, yeah, exactly. And you're on your way to the Dominican Republic. Oh yeah, so no, so I talked about Debbie Downer in the book and like, cause people always ask, you know, how'd you think of that, whatever. And so I tell a story and I, she, the people ask me if she's based on a real person. I said, well, no, she's not based on a real person. I said, but I guess maybe like my mother, you know, just is somewhere in my head because like my example is I was going to, um, this is like several years ago and I was, on, I was gonna take a trip to the Dominican Republic. She was like, well, don't wander into Haiti. <laughs> So then, don't wander to Haiti became like the catchphrase, like any like overly ridiculous safety advice, like don't wander into Haiti. Uh, Literally, but, like it's the men's bathroom or something. Yeah. Like, oh, what a terrible this mistake! This is all pre-earthquake too. This was just like anyway. So, now I just Debbie Downer the whole thing because I mentioned so, uh, I mentioned the Haitian earthquake. Nice. Okay. Yeah. How do they feel about the book? Oh, they're, well, I think that they're into, I'm sure there's parts that they'd be like, I don't want to read that about my daughter. But, um, but no, they're very proud, you know, you know, the Jewish parents, yeah. That's nice. I think we're going to open it up to uh, Q&A now. Uh, the only thing that I would say is um, make it an actual question. So, so That's frequently a danger. Yes, I see a hand. Raise your hand, I'll bring the mic to you. So third oh. row, center. Well, I'm not going to talk about SNL because the last time I saw it was for Lady, Lady Gaga and, and uh, that was pretty awesome. But what do you think about career paths? Uh, where do you see yourself going from 10 years from now? I had an idea for you. Maybe you'll be interested in hearing it, but I, I'm interested what you, what you have to think, your career now path. Now you've made me curious about well, what we idea you could Well, we can talk later. Oh boy, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> career path. Oh, path. Well, I've never been one of those like, five-year, ten-year plan people. I think if you're an actor, that's, I don't know, you have no control over that. So I just like, you know, I just take it kind of one day at a time. But um, 
I don't know. I just want to keep doing comedy, whether it's you know theater or TV or movies. I mean, I, I'm I'd be happy doing just New York theater, some sort of comic play or something. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't have the ten year plan. I'll just go where the vibes take me. So you want to hear my ideas for you? Of course. We, we all want to hear your idea. I'm a little scared. Well, I think I think most of us mature people are, are over this. Uh, this concept of women, women as goddesses. And I think we, we uh -oh. value most intelligence first and sense of humor. And I think you sh you've, uh, you've invoked both of those. Thank you. So I think a career path for you would be, would be the humane female Jerry Seinfeld. What do you think? All right, I, could into I, it? I would take his career. Sure. <laughs> I'll, be the female, I'll be the female Jerry Seinfeld. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Any questions? Anyone else? Wow, all problems solved. So it was so simple. All this time. We got a question to your right in the second to last row. Uh, yeah. Hey, I uh, was a big fan of Dratch and Faye. Oh, and so uh, the question that comes to mind is um, you claim uh, not to be a lipstick lesbian, but there was obviously a lot of lesbian tension with you and Tina back in the day. Of course. Can you, and, but uh, it was all tight, very closely guarded. Uh, do you want to comment upon uh, your relationship uh, with her in the past uh, or uh, tell any stories? I, I can't tell if you're asking a lesbian question or a showbiz question, but... Um, <laughs> Like we are lovers, we are friends, we are co-workers. No, um, yeah, Tina and I started off, I actually talk about this in the book, um, Tina and I started off at Second City together, and uh, we actually did this scene called Wicked, which was a mother and daughter shopping at the Burlington Mall, which is Boston, um, two Boston accent ladies, <laughs> two Boston ladies. And um, then when we both ended up at SNL, that's, we, Tina and I wrote those Sally and Denise scenes together based on our old scene. And um, yeah, we did the show, Dratch and Faye. And um, I talk about this in the book because I get asked a, a lot about Tina and everything's cool. I mean, it was when, when the whole Third Rock thing happened, it was, it was just one of those like, oh, well, that's showbiz things. Like we're, once you've been in the biz for so long, you're really used to, you know, you kind of have to develop a thick skin. So I did not take it some sort of personal thing. I mean, um, you know, I, I've discussed this all way better and more articulately than I will right now. But, um, but yeah, we are friends, and um, I admire the, the heck out of her. The hell out of her. I'm going to say hell. I admire the hell out of Tina Fey. Yeah. Cool. So center in the back. Can you make the Debbie Downer face for us? Oh, my God. Okay. It's hard without the trombone here, but... <laughs> Just add laughter in on that iPod cast thing. Okay. Uh, who's your uh, favorite recurring character to play on SNL? Uh, well, I mean, Debbie Donner is the one that I most sort of recognize for it, but I think it's because of that huge crack up that we had on the first time we did the scene. So um, that was my most fun moment probably on SNL was when we just lost it and couldn't stop laughing, even though that's completely unprofessional and um, but that was probably my most fun because it just like SNL, um, people sometimes ask if it's really live and I'm, you're, I'm like, yes, it's right there in the title that it's live. But, um, but the moments like that show that it is live and anything can happen. That's what I loved about being on the show. I was very partial to your academic lover 
character. Oh, yeah, the lover, yes. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> there was a gentleman. We got a question, second uh, row, sorry. Oh, okay. Hi, I was curious. Um, you did Spring Breakdown. Did you really enjoy like, doing a movie, or do you like, um, like SNL better or performing on stage? Which I, I love Spring Breakdown. It was so fun. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, movie, it's weird because movies are the thing that are kind of the most prestigious, you know, the most lasting, I guess. But um, in actual practice, like, I actually like doing live theater or, or SNL or, you know, a sitcom where there's a live audience. Like, I really like having that energy back and forth. And I mean, back at Second City, you do the same show night after night, and sometimes you had to just change it up for whatever the audience was, like, whether they're... I don't know, I just liked sort of gauging the audience and, and just learning how to do that, so... Yeah, but I mean, movies are movies are fun too, you know. Third row center. Yes. Third row center. Hello. Um, how has the whole, uh, I guess, viral video thing changed the face of comedy? Because with all these troops and comedic acts just getting big just by being on YouTube, I mean, how have right. you seen that impact the? professional side of the industry. Well, it's huge. I mean, that that came about after I was sort of already on SNL pretty much, but um yeah, I mean, that one when aspiring comedians ask me how do I become a comedian or sketch performer or whatever, I always tell them to go take class at you know, either New York, Chicago, LA, like there, there's all the improv stuff there and then once you take class, like even if you're interested in writing, I still recommend it because um, it's just a, a way of networking, getting into a whole little comedy community. And then, yeah, with the internet, I mean, there's so much, it's like this total democratic thing because if you're, if you come up with, and the other thing I always tell people is, even if you're just interested in performing, is to, to write because it's kind of true when you're an actor, you can feel a bit dime a dozen, but if everyone's always looking for the great story or the great funny premise or whatever. So that's what's so great about the internet. Once you come up with an idea, if it takes off, you know, you, you kind of cut out the middleman a little bit, so. Rachel, does the second city still have that kind of power? I mean, certainly not uh, the power that it used to, but is it still sort of a destination for... I think it is, yeah. I think, I mean, I moved out there when I was 23 to Chicago to do Second City, and um, I mean, SNL still goes and look and scouts there, and um, I, don't, I don't really know, I'm not as in touch with it now, but um, I think it's still, like, I mean, in Chicago, it's huge, and I think it's still... A, big force for scouts and stuff like that, so yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Rachel. My name is Gary Watson. I want to thank you for this opportunity to speak to you directly. Oh, thank I think it's a unique format here, and uh, I just want to say, I'm privileged to be able to observe a lot of your talent from the comedic uh, talents that you've been able to show on SNL, but do you have a desire to share with your fans a serious role, and can you, do you have a desire to do something serious on Broadway, and are you having a desire to do something opposite than what your reputation is most associated with? And thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, the answer is no. <laughs> no, um, you know what? I'm back. <laughs> I'm terrible. No, back. I mean, I'm, I'm not a good dramatic actor. I'm going to say, no, I've tried like back in, you know, college when you're taking acting class and you're like, I can do anything. All I have to do is think of a sad time in my life. And like, no, I just, I'm just not good at that. But I will say though, like, I mean, I was a drama major. I did all the classes and everything. So, I mean, I could see myself more, you know, maybe some little quirky movie or with, with like, I could see myself playing a character role that isn't necessarily like a big, like, haha, you know, coming in with an arm coming out of your head 
role. But um, but no, I, I have no desire to be like, you know, I don't know, God, some big like war movie or something. I mean, I would just be awful in that, so. I do not wish to stretch whatsoever. Okay. No, 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 no. I mean, I, of course, in the context I just said of like a character in a more serious thing, but, but no, 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 I don't want to stretch to be like, you know, Meryl Streep. I mean, I'm already Jerry Seinfeld, right? But you have stretched. You did a musical. I did do, I did do a musical. Yeah, it was in... Um, it was in L.A. It was supposed to go to Broadway, and then it, um, it didn't. <laughs> but I did have to sing, so that was a stretch, I guess. How was that? It was, it was fun. Well, I played this really character role that, um, you know, I was supposed to be a bad performer, so I didn't have to have this big Broadway voice, but um, it was really fun. I mean, I love doing theater, so if anyone's listening out there, I'll do your show. <laughs> we have time for three more questions. Okay. Oh, here's Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, the question was, is, do you have a cyber life? Do you interact on Facebook and blah, blah, blah? Uh, there was this uh, Korean comedian who, who articulated that she was hoping that the internet would solve her alter ego, sort of to develop herself and reach out to the universe and have 5,000 friends like you can have on Facebook. Do you have a cyber life? Well, a cyber, I like that, a cyber life. Um, well, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm the real dratch on Twitter. And the only reason I'm the real dratch is because there was someone pretending to be me and they were writing horrible jokes and it was really that's, embarrassing. Uh, that's me. Uh, Facebook, I'm, I'm on Facebook but I like barely ever check it but yes, I am on Facebook. If you want it, I'll get back to you in four months. That's when I look at Facebook. But yeah, but Twitter's more reliable for my cyber life. How, yeah. many, how many Twitter followers do you have? Oh, I have 45,000. No. That's not, that's not shabby. That's what I say in the mirror every night. I have 45,000 followers. Okay. Now we have two questions left, right? I have a question. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. I have a question if you guys want. Um, so I actually enjoy your show, O'Grady, which is like, a, oh, you did a cameo. I love that show. That was that a show. while ago, yeah. Why did it end? You know what? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I love they just the stopped the calling me. Like, I didn't even know because I only did a few things. So then they stopped calling. I, I got to say, I didn't even know it ended. But anyway, sorry. So we got the final question from this gentleman here. All right, so I watched 30 Rock religiously, and my favorite character of you that you did was when you casted the cats. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the rural jerk whole thing, that was classic, but which one was your favorite? Well, actually, I think the cats, the cat wrangler one, I think that was my favorite. Um, that was the, the first one I did, I think. But, um, yeah, that was my favorite. That was totally based on, I mean, Tina, Tina came up, people asked me, did I come up with the character in 30 Rock, but those were all from Tina, and... Um, that was that woman, the cat wrangler, was definitely based on like real cat wranglers that would come into SNL, and you know they always had to dress you know horribly, and because they were surrounded by cats all the time. <laughs> and uh, oh my god! And well, anyway, that's a whole other. That's that's my next book, the cat wrangler book. Um, but the funny thing, there is actually a story in the um, in, in my little Thirty Rock section of my book because the cat wrangler was my first one and. So I came in, and you know I had been Jenna, and now I was the cat wrangler. And so we're doing this read through this live feed to Burbank, and they wanted to see what my costume looked like, you know, the producers in New York. So I'm dressed as the cat wrangler, the clothes, the long mullet, no makeup, 
And then everyone else is dressed like the coming into the first day of work, you know, like really pretty and nice clothes. And, and then at that very moment, they're like, okay, um, we're going to do the live feed to Burbank now. So everyone come around to do this read through. So I am dressed as the cat wrangler for this read through and everyone else looks really cute. And it was humiliating experience, <laughs> but that's in the book. Okay. <laughs> but I can't end with the humiliating experience question. Can I do one more? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just dug Raise myself into that. Okay. Right back here. Uh, so uh, it's a very New York cover on your book and uh, love that you represent for New York. Why did you choose New York over L.A. to live? Oh, is it well, that question? was just because SNL is here. So that's why I moved here. But then afterwards, um, yeah, I'm from Boston. I just feel like East Coast lady. And um, I, I like that in New York, you know, when you're on the subway, you're with all walks of life and everybody, every profession, every, everybody. And um, LA, you know, it's just like such showbiz centric. So I kind of, I like it much better here, but that's why. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I should say the, um, the cover photograph, in addition to being a beautifully authentically New York photo, everything in that photograph has significance in the book. And you can only uh, learn that if you read the book. And in fact, not if you read the book. You actually have to purchase the book. So, uh, Rachel, I'd like to thank you on behalf of the millions of people who are listening. Oh, my God, that's scary. Uh, the book is, is really lovely. Thank and you. it was uh, a privilege for all of us. Thank to you. get to hear you talk. Thank you, and thank you for coming. <laughs>